Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Today, I'm talking with Michelle Sullivan, a social impact powerhouse, TED speaker, and author of Looking Up, a leadership philosophy that promotes taking an elevated view of others. Michelle spent her 30-year career at Caterpillar, retiring as president of Caterpillar Foundation and Caterpillar's director of corporate social innovation. And her story is beyond inspiring. As an avid advocate of advocacy-based causes, say that three times fast, Michelle's advice for nonprofits looking for funding is to lead by example. Invest the resources you have available in the same way that you're asking funders to invest in your mission. Rather than stretching your own programming budget, find a counterpart in advocating for your cause and strike up a collaboration. And Michelle's number one must-have is a healthy link between your theory of change and your programs, specifically the impact of those programs. Michelle's story hits differently than most. Being born with metatropic dysplasia, a rare form of dwarfism, she's had every reason to be thrown off course by life's obstacles. But instead of being knocked down, Michelle has looked up and treated every experience as an opportunity. She became the first female president of the Caterpillar Foundation, smashing through that glass ceiling. My conversation with Michelle touches on the things that foundations like Caterpillar look for in investment-worthy nonprofits, ways to communicate the value of your cause, and the best way to present a nonprofit story that resonates with both donors and funders. So dive with us into grassroots strategies, then come up for a bird's eye view of grass tops results as we weave the two into a nonprofit field of dreams. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? <laughs> I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world. If you're going to be sustainable, you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story. And it snowballs like any peer-to-peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows. Then you're doing it wrong. Okay. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else that you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Michelle, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So there's there's so much to talk about in in a short amount of time. And so I want to jump right into it. Uh, you have such an inspiring story. You have been a huge influencer in the philanthropic space. And so I'd love to just to kind of start with, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and uh, what got you eventually into working in the nonprofit sector. Sure. Thank you so much. So back quite a few decades ago, <laughs> I was born with a rare form of dwarfism. And so I've always been, you know, among the shortest person wherever I go. And my parents always taught me that I could, you know, do whatever I wanted, that it really didn't matter about the size. And so education was really stressed. And I clearly understood that education was my pathway going forward for, you know, to be successful. And so I went on through school and ended up with a master's degree. And 
my dad worked at Caterpillar and I knew that that's where I wanted to work at the global company. And I recently retired after 30 years and my sister still works there today. And I had quite a career in different areas, you know, parts, marketing, uh, new product introduction, introduction, et cetera. But luckily the last seven years, I was the president of the Caterpillar Foundation and the first woman to hold that position. And it was quite a pleasure because it opened up a world for me that I thought I knew about people in poverty, et cetera. But when you really go around the globe and see poverty and especially extreme poverty, it gives you a whole new understanding of what our challenges are in the world. Hmm. And so I really have worked even in my retirement to continue the social impact side. But, you know, I give all the credit to the Caterpillar Foundation for really giving me an opportunity and teaching me things and meeting the people that I would have never met and been inspired by had I not held that position. What took you down the pathway of getting into the foundation aspect? It seemed like you were on the corporate side for a while, and then the last seven years you spent on the foundation side. So what was the sort of journey into that part of operations? It was, you know, I've always loved business. And so you're right. The first 23 years, I was clearly on the business side. But I kept finding myself going down to the first floor of our world headquarters where the foundation folks were when I had free time. And keep in mind, I've been in the philanthropic world since I was a teenager. You know, I was in an organization and still am called the Little People of America and did some other work with some other organizations. So, you know, the not-for-profit world's always been in my life, and I've loved it. But Caterpillar was also a love of mine. So, you know, when the foundation job came open, which it rarely did, I was maybe the fifth person since 1952 to have the position. Once you get in there, people would have it for, you know, 20 years. And when I was with the company 23, I thought I had missed my shot, to be honest. But it came open and it, I thought, you know, this really brings my two passions together, Caterpillar and, and the philanthropic side. So it's probably the most wanted position at Caterpillar next to probably the CEO. <laughs> uh, so hundreds of people applied and, you know, I thought about it for a long time. So I went in knowing that I had a strategy of what I would do. I would involve, you know, with our brand, we could really bring recognition to a lot of these challenges. And of course, we have dealers all over the world as well that we could lean on and really help them with our work. Hmm. And so when I went in and and talked about the strategy and that I really thought we should do it from an ROI perspective, you know, run it like a business. You know, what organizations do we invest in that make the biggest impact? It's kind of like the Shark Tank. If 50 water organizations came in, how do you how do you differentiate? And so. For me, it was very clear, you know, when you narrow down the regions that you want to work in, et cetera, and then you start looking at organizations and what their impact is, then you could clearly, you know, start to decipher which organizations you wanted to narrow down to. And so it really brought together two passions for me. And and it was a bit of a risk, to be honest, because I was going off the beaten path, leaving the corporate side and going into, you know, very much a, a bucket you know, the, the foundation is just a small piece. There were eight employees on the team, you know, out of, you know, 90,000. So it was a risk, but to me, it, w- it was not even risky because I thought, you know, if, if I get this position, I knew that I would finish out my career in this position. 
And if not, I would still continue to work with the team and go down and visit and, you know, see what they're working on, et cetera. And fortunately for me, it worked out. That's amazing. And, and congratulations on being the first uh, the first woman uh, president of, of the foundation. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a prestigious foundation. And so setting sort of the bar for more female leaders to take leadership in that. And so congratulations on that. That's, that's a, it's a huge achievement. I'd, I'd love to double click on that comment you talked about uh, uh, regarding the Shark Tank. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of questions nonprofits have when going to foundations for funding it's, you know, how do we, how do we stand out? How do we, against all the noise, you know, there's lots of organizations competing for foundation dollars. Uh, so what advice did you give? What, what were the things that your foundation looked at to really help differentiate, you know, a, a, one nonprofit over the other? I know you talked about focusing on region, but was there anything in the organization's financials, the way they conveyed impact? What were the sort of important indicators that you, you looked at as a foundation? Sure. You know, most important when a grant request would come in, and we got thousands of them, as you can imagine, because, you know, Caterpillar is very global and a lot of people know who Caterpillar is. So the first question is, do you fit within the organization's mission? So was water in our mission? And the answer clearly was, yes, it was. And, And all the information was on our website. And so when an organization's looking, you can't really fit a square into a round hole or mm. vice versa. You you really have to study and make sure that you fit within their boundaries that they're looking for. Mm. So if you do, then you can proceed and really look at several things. How is your financial performance? We looked heavily at that because, you know, we don't have unlimited money, even though people thought we did. You know, everybody has limited money. So we're going to spend it, you know, where we feel that we can get the best return and really the organization will perform and not have financial issues. Second is we did not want to be more than maybe 25% of any particular large grant. Because if we decided in a couple of years to go in a different direction, we didn't want to put that program under. Hmm. So we did not want to be the main carrier of a program, typically. Okay. Now, there were exceptions, but not very often. And then also, are you running it like a business? Are you continuing to strive? Is your accounting up to par? Do you have your audits? We would not contribute if you did not have an audit. Mm. Just like any business, you should be audited. Now, this was an issue for very small organizations. But one solution is you can go and see if one of your funders would donate the audit. In other words, go to an accountant or something and say, would you help support us by doing an audit? So, you know, always use an organization's talents to help you. They don't necessarily have to do it in money, but they can do it in other ways, such as an audit. Yeah. So when I counsel people, about, you know, is this a good organization when they come to me, you really have to look at those type of things. And there's a lot of websites out there where, you know, they post their um, IRS financials up to the web and you can actually see their financials and then do some math and figure out, is this really a healthy organization financial wise? And so the other piece is when I looked at with the team, you know, the water organizations, for example, how many people could we impact? And you can't compare something like water.org 
who gives out small loans so they can hook up to water. You can impact a lot more people as opposed to charity water that's digging a well, which will serve just a village, which is wonderful. But you can't compare the number of people in those two instances because they're two different types of groups of people they're trying to serve. And yet the charity water may be definitely in the region where, you know, you can't hook up to water because there's nothing to hook up to. You have to dig. Yeah. And that's that was a priority for us as well as water.org, where we did the, the loans. So you can't just do the number of people. So it's really not black and white. You really have to look at, you know, the different areas within the grant yeah. to see, you know, which ones you want to invest in. It makes sense. There's this, I'll say growing movement. I don't think it's it's huge yet, but it's this term being thrown around called pragmatic uh, philanthropy. And it addresses, it's like, hey, like if you're going to be a philanthropist and you really want to make a difference in the world, then you need to be pragmatic about it. And you need to invest in the things that will help the most amount of people or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the, choose whatever the cause is. Mm -hmm. And so some nonprofits feel that their impact is, is you know, very, like, for, so for example, when I was at uh, Liberty in North Korea, it cost $3,000 to fund <laughs> one rescue, uh, one person, right? That's, that's person. expensive. And then whereas, you know, $3,000 can provide mosquito nets for an entire village in Africa, whatever it might be. Right. And so you get into this sort of game of like, how much dollars will help the most amount of people? Uh, mm -hmm. And so how, how do you how do you balance that? Because I think that, you know, as, as you said, that that's not always the best way to measure the efficacy of a nonprofit because it costs different organizations, different impact costs, different things. So how do you quantify that in terms of measuring whether or not we should invest in a nonprofit? That's a very good and complicated question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the changes we made when I came in, we started investing in advocacy, hmm. which we called the grass tops. Okay. And then what you were talking about with rescuing one person, that is the grassroots. Mm. And you really need both to make sustainable change. But not everybody's involved from the grassroots to the grass tops. And that's okay. Hmm. A group like Caterpillar can do that because we had the, first of all, to invest in advocacy from a corporate foundation, we really had to get legal involved. So that we didn't, you know, cross the line into policy or anything like that. So when you think about it, though, once you can get a country, for instance, and I'm just speaking in generalities here, to think about the advocacy of girls should not be married at age 10, even if they were to address that, it would take a long time for mm. it to filter through the culture, right? Probably multi-generational type of time. But when you think about it, that's also going to produce mass change in the distant future, hopefully mm. the near future, but to make large change and cultural change through advocacy, it does take a long time. Yeah. So it depends on what your time frame is and it depends on what is it your preference, what's your preference in terms of Okay, that $3,000 saved one person as a, as a rescue. Well, that can go on and impact their family in the future, et cetera. So it also balloons out. Yeah. But, you know, $3,000 in the advocacy world, you're talking millions of dollars in advocacy if you're talking about child marriage or, or education reform or something like that. Right. So there's many things that go into, you know, each type of grant. 
in the area. But advocacy is definitely more long-term, but exponentially impactful. Impactful. Yeah, and I think, oh, that's, yeah. I think that's such an important message for nonprofits. I think we're so obsessed with how much impact can we make in this fiscal yeah. year. And, and counting, right? Exactly. Whereas yeah. sometimes, some years, there will just be less impact, but for the return in year four, five, right. or six, you know, whatever right. it might be. And so I yeah. think, I love that that Caterpillar thinks that way, thinks about sort of the long-term impact mm-hmm. of what an organization can do, right. whether it's through advocacy or, or direct programs. But also, we've been taught where you want the immediate number, right? Like, we want to impact people right now. Mm-hmm. And most people don't have the understanding or the means to work on advocacy, but there are groups where you absolutely can, for example, the one campaign, you know, advocates for preventable diseases and extreme poverty, and they have ambassadors where you can sign up, you know, as an ambassador and help go to your government officials to advocate for certain things. So, you know, the common person can absolutely impact advocacy very quickly as we've seen, you know, in the United States, right? (laughs) (laughs) A group of people can change a lot, which I think is wonderful. Mm. And so also global citizen, you know, they call their groups uh, global citizens that come in and around the world, they have advocates that go in and make radical change quickly. So it used to be Mm -hmm. long term that it takes and still the change to trickle down, I would argue does take a while in some cases, but, you know, advocacy can also happen very quickly. Mm. Just make sure that what you're advocating for is really where you want to go, because once you do it, it's hard to turn it back. Yeah, that makes makes total sense. I, I want people to go out and be advocates. I mean, and there's many organizations where you can. Yeah. It's, you know, especially with social media now. Totally. Yeah, that's what actually back when I was in college, that's what um, there's this quote by Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That's what inspired me to get into, you know, philanthropy. And it's exactly the message you just you just shared. And, you know, I I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about advocacy here at Liberty North Korea. We we had a multi pronged approach. We both had we did advocacy and we did, you know, direct program relief work. Mm -hmm. We looked at the relief work where, you know, we we were like, this is not going to change what's happening inside North Korea. Uh, but this is more of the humanitarian imperative of like, there are people suffering that need help. We have the resources, let's help them. But we had a long-term game. And it was on the advocacy side of how do we help the North Korean people achieve their own freedom in, in their country? Right. And so we did all sorts of advocacy. Do you think that more nonprofits should be focused on advocacy? Because if you think about it, a lot of the issues and social challenges that we're fighting against, policy could have an impact on the outcome of what they're doing. And so do you think more organizations need need to be working on advocacy or is there a good balance? What's your thought on that? I do think that advocacy plays a role in almost every social challenge that we have, but a lot of organizations don't have the depth or Mm. uh, sometimes the desire to go into advocacy because it can be quite heavy of a lift depending on where you are. Yeah. However, we were big proponents of collaboration. And so what I've encouraged organizations to do, and it started when I was with the foundation and I continue to do it, is their strength in collaboration. So find the organizations that are working on advocacy in the area that you're focused on. And when you team up, you have a much more powerful impact Hmm. because you may be delivering on the ground while you're also feeding information and 
you know, advice to the advocacy group and also the people that you're working with can be advocates for the advocacy organization. Because mm. remember, there's power in numbers, like Margaret Mead said, right? Yep. So if you don't have the wherewithal or the desire or the means to work directly in advocacy, I definitely would encourage you to get with the organizations that you can collaborate with to get to work on advocacy because it really does dovetail and you will see that your impact for both organizations will increase. Got it. So one more question on the foundation side. And I want to, mm-hmm. I, I do want to jump into your book and, and Ted talk. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're looking at an organization, cause I think this is important. A lot of times I feel like an organization, it has, you know, they create their theory of change, they create their programs, and sometimes their programs just don't really connect to their theory of change, right? Or aren't mm-hmm. going to actually prove it out. So how important is it for you as someone who was deploying a lot of capital to charity, to, to nonprofits? How important were the program, like the impact, the efficacy of the program as it related back to sort of like maybe their theory of change? Is this actually going to end the problem that you're trying to address? Or were you more concerned about how many people are you actually helping? Is it helping bring people out of poverty? I feel like there's sometimes there can be a disconnect in sort of the humanitarian efforts that are being done and the long-term change that also needs to be focused on. So how would you look at that from a foundation perspective when deploying capital? In the foundation, we required an annual impact report. And the reason for that is we wanted to make sure that that truly connected to their theory of change. And for instance, if they were going into a classroom with a certain program and working on maybe 30% change in knowledge or behavior, and remember there's a difference between output, and output is how many kids went through the class. When you talk about change, it's what was the change in knowledge or behavior? We focused on the change in knowledge and behavior Hmm. because there were sometimes, not very often, where when they turned in the impact report, it did not even come close to meeting what their Mm. metric was. And remember, it's their metric. Right. Now, that does not mean that we quit funding them. To the contrary, you know, obviously either the program wasn't on target or for the audience that they have brought in, or you need to change the audience so that they meet, you know, the program dynamics. But if you didn't meet your change by a you know by a large measure then something isn't right hmm. and so you really needed to go back and look at you know let's look at the students that we had in the class and what is it they needed or was it the program material that we needed to change for the students that are in the class so it doesn't mean that we were going to stop the grant we would let it go forward if they could find out you know what change could they make to try it again Yeah. And then it really did perform. So Mm. what's interesting is while some organizations didn't like the impact report, it actually helped them because their program became even stronger and then more people were interested in funding. Yeah. So you really just like in business, you know, you you know, if something doesn't meet the customer requirements because they don't buy it. Right. So you change something. Right. So the nonprofit's the same. Mm. You have to perform. Is it hitting the targets that you were? wanting or you need to go back and look at what's wrong. And we did that, you know, with through the impact reports and then working with the organizations to make sure that, you know, they were performing up to their theory of change. Yeah, I love that. That's you know, I think the uh, a really powerful takeaway from from that message there 
is for nonprofits looking, f- you know, for funding, uh, especially from uh, foundations like Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ensure ensure that you have an, a monitoring and valuation mechanism in place on your programs, right? Especially right. If you're, uh, to, to deliver sort of the impact and uh, on on the program. So that's that's really helpful. Right, because remember, we have to meet. You know, the IRS watches the dollars very closely, as they should. And so does Caterpillar because, you know, I felt a huge responsibility on behalf of the employees, the company, you know, the dealers and the customers that we, you know, spend and invest the money wisely into mm-hmm. organizations that we're going to get, a, you know, that will really benefit, you know, the folks that we're targeting. And so we have the same responsibility on our side. We have to roll up our numbers mm-hmm. to show, you know, the number of people or the how we change in terms of advocacy, you know, how, how did we, you know, make a difference on our side as well. So we, we have to do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's transition here in the next couple minutes and then we'll wrap it up. So you are outside of your inspiring work at the Capital Foundation have gone on and gave a very inspiring speech on the TED stage, which has been viewed millions of times. You've written a book. Talk to us about your speaking and your writing. It's such an inspiration. And so we'd love to touch on that a bit here. Yeah, thank you. You know, it really did start with the TED Talk. And the premise behind the TED Talk was you really can't walk in my shoes, you know, being four feet tall and other challenges that I have. And most challenges you can't see from someone. And yet we're very quick to judge people by what you see, especially in today's world. Uh, look at the politics. I mean, families aren't talking to each other just because you support you know, a candidate, imagine that. So when you think about the world today, we need to come together more than ever. And so don't judge people as quickly as you, we have a tendency to do, because you don't know what that person's going through on any given day. And so while you can't walk in my shoes, maybe, or understand about being four feet tall, you can still walk beside me. And I can walk aside you as well. And we really can make a difference in the world. And that's what the TED Talk is about. And so a lot of people have always said, Michelle, oh, you need to write a book about your life. And, you know, everybody has a story. And most people think just being small is my biggest story where I believe that making an impact in the world, I definitely believe in servant leadership. I believe that we're supposed to make a difference in the world, everybody, however that is. You're using your talent, your resources, or your finances, or all of the above. And so the book is called Looking Up. Even though I look up to everybody actually all the time, all day, being four feet tall, Mm. it also taught me the greatest gift, which is to look up to everybody because we all have value. Mm. And so in the book, I talk about the people who I've looked up to in my life that made a profound impact on me. And then also I talk about the people, especially the people I met in the foundation, Uh, who are living in poverty and they've influenced my life more than they will ever know. And here we, you know, they don't have near what we have Mm -hmm. and yet they're so inspirational and there's stories in there about the people and how they have uh, inspired me and others is a big part of the book as well. Mm. And for, for those listening, I highly recommend it. I ordered it. I, I first talked to Michelle uh, several weeks ago, ordered the book ahead of time. Uh, my wife and I have, have read it. And it's a perfect book for the time that we're in today. Uh, it's such an inspiring story. So Michelle, thank you for, for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing. Where can uh, where can people pick up the book? I assume Amazon is probably the easiest way right. or is there another, right. another way? Mm-hmm. Okay. Target, Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also 
if you want to know more about where I'm speaking, et cetera, lookingup.com. Okay. We'll make sure that we'll link uh, your website in the comments or uh, as part of this podcast so people have access to that. Uh, but thank you so much, Michelle, for joining, for sharing thank your you. story, sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Keep looking up because the view is great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.